0: All right, just a couple things, uh, and I'm going to reiterate. I don't know what you're doing today, but at 1 o'clock, you're coming to baptisms. Yeah. Even if you're not going to stay for food, just, just, just show up. This, this is just to let you know, a couple things. First off, uh, next year, we're actually probably not going to do them on Labor Day weekend because there's people who wanted to get baptized, but when we do the one on Labor Day weekend, they're like, I'm out of town. I'm always out of town. So we're actually going to move it next year a little bit. We might just do something on Labor Day weekend just to do something. Okay, good, good for you. Uh, but we'll probably move baptisms just a little bit because I realize the last baptisms, we, like some, I was talking to someone this morning and they go, didn't you just have those? And I'm like, yeah, we did. That's why we got two this time. But, but they're, they're kids and it's gonna be amazing. We do have a canopy over the entire backyard. So again, you do not need to bring, ooh. Yeah, it's, it's a marvel. It really is, it's pretty darn cool. I only had a little bit to do with it, not a lot. But I put it up yesterday, you can tell. <laughs> Also, if you like air conditioning in this room when it's so hot outside, you can thank Pete Newman in the back of the room right there because that was kind of his baby. Um, Alright, so what else I also have to talk about is the Weekender. The Weekender is coming up in about a month and the Weekender is a class that's a Friday, Saturday. We used to call this our Gospel class and it was eight weeks long. Now we're doing it on a Friday night and a Saturday morning and you are going to get almost all that we talked about in the Gospel class and a couple of weeks ago when we were going through our our thing we talked about women in the church and if you had questions the weekend is a great place to come and walk through and ask those questions about element and our leadership and our structure and those type of things so we can actually have a dialogue about that so it's Friday, uh, Friday October 7th and Saturday October 8th and you can sign up in the YouVersion app if you have that this morning you can sign up in church center if you use that or if you don't know how to do either of those things you can sign up at the welcome center that's right out there when you talk talk to Sarah. We will have food for you when you're there. We'll even have childcare for you. So there's, there's no excuse. If you want to come to the Weekender, you can come to the Weekender. Uh, I have one more thing before we start, and that is, I don't know if you guys know who Lindsay Martino is. Uh, if she, we did an interview with her during COVID. It was up on, up on the YouTube site. You can watch that if you want to, but she's, she's in a wheelchair. She usually comes to second service, sits up in the front. Today's her birthday, and actually, it's, so is Patrick Ernest, and so it's Sarah's, and it's like, everybody's birthday today. And Lindsay, what? Yes, yeah, Sarah Carpenter. I said that, right? You said Sarah. I said Sarah. Oh. I got to put the, the modifier on the back end of that. Sarah knows who she is. She knows it's a birthday. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Last week, after, after service, uh, Lindsay, she gets, she gets brought in the ADA bus and, and taken home, and they actually had to take her to the hospital. And since it is her birthday, I told her that I would tell you it was her birthday today and ask you to actually pray for her. And so if you would do that, and just remember her, and she had to go in for surgery. I don't know all the details, but if you can remember that and just pray for Lindsay this week, that would be really great. Welcome to Element if you are new. There are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on the community table throughout the room. They look like this. They are half sheets. And what you're going to get is the verses we're going to go through. On the bottom, you get a place to ask a question. If you have a question about what we talk about today, or really any question about the Bible, you may not understand. On the back side, you get a half page recap of what we talk about today. Underneath that, you get some questions to ask your friends, your family, your gospel community about. If you have a smart device, you can download an app. It is called YouVersion. You click on more and then events in YouVersion. We will come up by GPS in your smart device, and you will get sermon notes, right Verses, questions, announcements, all that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? I saw you just pause. You weren't going to sit down. like, I'm good. I'm just going to keep standing. That's great. Uh, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. And it says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Let's pray. Father, this morning we ask that you would teach us what it means to trust you in situations that seem so overwhelming to us in the moment. That we wouldn't look for trite answers, but we would look to you and what you've done to save us from our own decisions and from our own selves and all that we wrought in this world. Teach us to love you by how we glorify you, by how we trust you, and that would be infectious to those around us. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we are doing a series called Never Read a Bible Verse because we want you to read more than just one. More than just one. Uh, Too often we take things completely out of context and how they were written in order to make ourselves feel better about something we want to feel better about or to share with somebody else so we can make them feel better than where they were at. And it's this whole thing of conventional wisdom versus the wisdom that God has in the Bible. Sometimes we come up with trite little sayings and we lay those upon the scriptures. We never want to do that. And throughout this series, I think we've looked at some hard things like women in the church and slavery and anxiety, and the government, you know, those are all kind of deep things. And when we say never read a Bible verse, sometimes it gets worse, because we will actually not just read just one, we'll take a little piece out of a verse, and then sometimes we'll even change that little thing out of a verse and get some bizarre theology. We had someone show up a couple weeks ago, head over to our baptism class, at them weird things about baptism, and Sarah was so great in the class, because Sarah goes, well, we're doing this great series right now called Never Read a Bible Verse, about taking verses out of context, and you kind of just took that out of context awesome awesome Awesome. (laughs) not to be confrontational but just to share the truth it's like way to go sarah fist bump awesome way to go anyway and i don't know if you know this but sometimes people will say some dumb things based upon the bible and the bible never says those dumb things uh god helps those who help themselves Not in the Bible, because God helps those who cannot help themselves because that's the centrality of the gospel. We're lost and we are broken, so God saves us. And there are many misconceptions about things in the Bible that the Bible hasn't really ever said now today I want to try to give you as I said a picture of social wisdom versus God's wisdom and how often we take what people say and then stick it onto what the Bible says and then we claim it actually came from God one writer says this people's awareness of or memory about what the Bible actually says is not generally headed in the right direction very true very true it's like this if you ask most people today in the garden Adam and Eve they eat the forbidden fruit what was the forbidden fruit and most people today will say apple. You know what the Bible says? Fruit. Fruit. That's all it says. We don't know. If, and I, when I make fun of it, I'll say, oh, Eve ate the apple. But, but I'm only joking when I say that because we don't know. We don't know if it was an apple. We don't know if it was, it's probably a fig because I hate figs. Um, it's, it's, it's something horrible. Tomato. That's what it was. Tomatoes. Although I do love them pizza sauce, but anyway, it's it, we don't know what we may not even know what it is anymore. We just don't know. Uh, you ask people how many wise men were there at Jesus' birth, and the answer is. Three. Oh yeah we're gonna get there but we say three why because there's three gifts the bible never says three it just doesn't it says there's these three gold frankincense and myrrh so there must have been three no there could have been a ton of them and they weren't at his birth they went and saw him when he was an infant most likely about two years old they show up to his house so when you put out your nativity scene and you got the wise men there it's wrong <laughs> Go buy another one, or get rid of those guys. I don't. You can whatever you want. I really, I really don't care. It doesn't make a difference because Jesus still died for our sins. But anyway, even your dumb sin of putting up a weird nativity scene. Um, how about this? Uh, when Mary gets pregnant by a gift of the Holy Spirit, when you know this virgin birth, she will sing this song called the Magnificent. Now, there were enough people who thought instead that she drew up the Magna Carta that it made a list of weird things people believe about the Bible. Now, we make fun of those things, or at least I do anyway, but when we have wrong ideas about the Bible, it can lead to wrong ideas about God Himself, like what God's character is, how God actually works in the world. And when it's not understood correctly, it can lead to this really poor theology and become stumbling blocks in our ability to trust Him. I think if you watch anything that comes out of Hollywood that portrays a Christian, just be like, Christianity is the exact opposite of that. Because every single person that's religious is a Christian in most shows, and they look crazy. And hopefully you know that Christianity doesn't look like that. And so today I want to look at this idea that is espoused by a lot of people today who take part of a verse, and then they change the wording in that verse a little bit, and say that God will never give you more than you can handle. And this really kind of goes along with what Steve talked about two weeks ago. Uh, It goes what I talked about in anxiety last week. It's kind of neat, I think how these three things came together just kind of, and I didn't plan it. It just ended up this way. It's kind of great. But some people think that being a follower of Jesus means your life is always going to be manageable. It's always going to be okay, but the Bible never says that. And God actually many times gives His people things they can't handle because we weren't meant to do this life without Him and without others around us. I remember someone once saying to me that the center of God's will is the safest place to be. And I, and I actually laughed. I was like, <laughs> oh, that's not a joke? Because the center of God's will is the most secure place to be, definitely, but it's not safe because God grows us in places and is this whirlwind of growth and change as God's love moves us to trust Him in one place to another. Safe sounds so comfortable, and God's leading of us is almost never comfortable because He takes us out of our places of complacency and leads us to Himself. And so I think sometimes we say the things that we do because when we see someone in crisis, we want to do or say something. To to help. It's like at a funeral. Sometimes people will say the craziest things. I do not like open mics at funerals because people will get up and they'll be like, oh, I have to say something. And they just start spouting out the weirdest things like, oh, they're looking down on us from above. They live in my heart. They'll always be with me. And I'm always thinking, when did your Uncle Joe turn into Jesus? He, he didn't. He didn't. See, when we say certain things that the Bible doesn't say, that puts us in a dangerous position And so, but what do you do say when someone's life is falling apart? Maybe they're going through a crisis and you don't know what to say. Maybe they've lost a spouse or a home or a job or a child or all sense of purpose. What comfort do you give? And too often what we do is we turn to our own conventional wisdom instead of turning to the scriptures, because maybe sometimes we just don't know the scriptures well enough. But we should then read the Bible and come to the scriptures. And we, I've heard people say this, don't worry, this wouldn't happen in your life if God didn't think you could bear it. I have heard that for everything short of death, you're still alive, so God thinks you can bear this. Isn't that great? No, (laughs) I don't know. Death might be easier. And again, I've heard that so often. And for some people, it's intended to be so comforting to somebody else. And it's kind of taken as a promise. You know, if God loves you, things won't get too bad. If God loves you, things will get too unbearable. The problem is the Bible never says that. It never says that. And in fact, if you read the Bible at all, you know, it's largely the story of people getting into situations and places that are beyond all they could bear and God steps in and rescues and saves in the midst of it. I mean, think about death. Death is like, you know, like the biggest thing to us. So think about this throughout the scriptures. Cain and Abel, you have Cain and his his brother Abel and he's jealous of his brother. Oh, my God loves my brother more than me. And so you go to Abel and you go, Abel, don't worry. God's not going to give you more than you can handle. And all of a sudden, boom, Cain kills Abel. Well, okay, I guess that was more than you can handle. You go to David and Bathsheba, right? Team David in the Old Testament has an affair with Bathsheba, who is Uriah the Hittite's wife. She gets pregnant by David, and David calls Uriah back from the front. And David says, Uriah, go home, sleep with your wife, claim the child as your own. And Uriah says, no, <laughs> no. And so, you know, don't worry, Uriah. God's not going to give you more than you can handle. Well, what does happens? David sends Uriah to the front, Uriah gets killed. Oops, I guess that was more than he can handle. John the baptizer. Hey, don't worry about King Herod coming after you with that machete, John the baptizer. God's not going to give you more than you can handle. And what happens? King Herod kills John the baptizer. See, starting with Jesus, all the way throughout the scriptures, you will see the Bible is mostly about people whose faith in God does not prevent their suffering and many times actually brings it about. When we trust God and faithfully walk with Him, things come into our lives that are not easy. And you'll see that no one consoles anybody else in the Bible with, don't worry, God won't give you more than you can handle. Nobody does that. Jesus himself, in his earthly life, ends with crucifixion. Now, obviously, Jesus rises from the grave. But a few days after this, his disciples take up this mantle. And the first thing that happens with them is they get arrested and beaten. Acts chapter 5, verse 41. We are told, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And when we promise other people things that the Bible has never said, oh, that God won't give you more than you can handle, it's our wishes masquerading as truth. And when we say that, what we have promised is something the Bible never does. So you have a Bible, open to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Page 622, if you have an element Bible, by the way. And so I'm going to talk about what this verse actually means, and then I'm going to walk you through another section in 2 Corinthians to show you what happens when things are actually beyond what we can bear, and what God does, and how that actually begins to work in our lives. And hopefully, we can walk out of here today not so scared about our trials, but hopefully walk in God's providence a little bit more. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man that means everybody goes through it okay God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it now notice here Paul is not talking about trials what's he talking about temptations, temptations. Now, a temptation is a snare that wants to drag you into sin. Maybe the temptation of sharing with somebody that's something that's not biblical, but it feels good to you, don't do that. In Genesis, God refers to sin like a predator. In Genesis 4, 7, he tells Cain, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. So you get to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and it talks like sin is stalking us, but God is faithful. Sin desires to overcome you, but God has given you a way of escape, and that way of escape is in the gospel. Sin sets the bait, but sin is not irresistible. Now, I don't want to sound too judgmental of people who will take this word and translate it as trials here, because the word temptation can also be translated as trials, and it has in other places. So why do we use the word temptation here? It's about conflict. What have we been talking about? The big picture that there are words in the Bible written to a particular culture in a particular way, so we must understand why those words are there in context. So when we look at this, the people in Corinth have worshipped a whole host of various gods and goddesses before following Jesus. They would have worshipped in idolatry. They would have worshipped in drunkenness. They would have worshipped in sex with temple prostitutes. Corinth, Corinth is notorious for its greed and arrogance and selfishness. Corinth set on this high place up on, a, up on a, Acropolis. And so Corinth was where people went up to, to pursue temptation. And this is why we know this is what Paul is directly referring to because of the culture. I think Corinth would be a great set for a reality TV show today, Temptation Acropolis. We're all going to go up there and, and hang out. And I don't know if you know this about human beings, but sometimes we want to be tempted. Sometimes we want to put ourselves in places where the temptation comes up. It's like, oh, I just, I just have to rationalize doing this because, oh, the temptation is just so strong. The sad part is when we drag God into the midst of it. Paul writes to them and tries to turn them back to where their hope comes from. Your hope comes in Jesus. In Christ, you gave up all these former practices. But the problem is they still live in the city, which is, I think, a good thing for them because they're trying to reach out to their city. But just by living in Corinth, there are all these temptations to go back. Those early uh, Christians, they continue to struggle with sexual immorality and gluttony and drunkenness. It's like you go to Vegas. Sometimes me and some friends will go to Vegas because there's lots of stuff to do. You can do indoor skydiving and drive sports cars on a track. I've done it. It's amazing. It's awesome. But if it's nighttime and you're standing down on the street, on the strip, someone's going to walk by and typically put a pamphlet in your hand. Don't look at it. Just put it in the garbage. That's uh, Just throw it away right there. D- don't look at it. And this is the thing. Sometimes people, we come to follow Jesus, right? We walk away from these things in our lives. But a little bit of time goes by and temptation starts to rear its head. Hey, hey, don't you want this thing? Hey, 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 look over here. Hey, hey, hey. And it's always kind of rearing its head and coming back. Maybe you walk away from pornography or substance abuse or angry and anger, and you're just kind of, ugh, and it always kind of wants to rear its ugly head. Paul is not saying in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, 13, expect minimal suffering because God won't give you anything you, can, you can't bear. He says, don't let yourself rationalize sliding into sin because God will not allow any temptation to come your way that He hasn't already provided that way out in Christ, in trusting Him. Now, in our day, the sad thing is the word temptation, it's almost a joke, Right? It's like, oh, this is a temptation brownie. Ooh, it's, it's so great, you can't resist. Oh, on the drink menu, this is the temptation pina colada, because there's a lot of colada. It's, a, here's your temptation colada. You know, but temptation does a terrible thing. It starts to try to unravel our humanity by convincing you that you are just an appetite. You cannot say no to this thing. You have to do this. You, it has to be gratified. Paul says, God doesn't do that. He has provided a way out, meaning his spirit gives us a sense of conviction of what is actually right. It says, this thing is not good for you. You know what you should do? You should run away from this, not walk away, not look back as you're walking away, run away from this thing. God's Spirit does this for us. God gives us warning bells of conscience and the Holy Spirit. And because Paul is writing to a church, an entire community here, we know that he is also talking about one another. God has also given us one another. And that's beautiful. If you are an addict, God has given you a church community to have someone who will walk alongside you in the midst of your temptation. Someone you can confess to and come clean and who can pray with you. He gives us other people to hold us to this thing called accountability. Accountability is not like a cop going like, don't do this. Accountability is lovingly stepping alongside one another and walking with one another through hard places and these temptations. God gives us people to walk with us and to pray with us. There is a reason that at Element we're always pushing what the gospel is so you would know it, so you would step into community with one another and be able to speak the gospel to draw one another back. We are meant to do that, to be in each other's lives. But we will never do that if we are not open and honest with one another. And I think this goes back to what we talked about in anxiety last week. We want to hide ourselves or we walk around saying, oh, I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me, like not understanding what that actually means in the midst of it. And we're always trying to act like we have it all together Guys, we're never going to be able to honestly walk alongside one another if we're not honest with one another. And this is the frustrating thing to, I think, our elders, our staff, a lot of gospel community leaders, is that many times people have this innate thing inside of us where we try to hide ourselves from one another. Oh, I don't really struggle with that. Oh, I don't really have a temptation in that area. Oh, I don't really walk over that direction. And when we do that, it becomes more than we can bear alone. This is why we need one another. It could be financial dishonesty. It could be flirtation in your workplace, a habit that's turning into an addiction. And it might start small, but it's not small anymore. And Paul is warning, sin will corrode our souls. It seeks to ruin our eternity. It's why Paul says, God is faithful. He will provide the way of escape. And God has provided the way of escape in our relationship with Christ and one another. Does that make sense? Stop hiding. Now, what I could do is I could end right there, like, <gasps> not ending, but I could, I could, I could, I could pray for you, I could get some gospel community leaders up here to talk to you and kind of steer you in a direction and pray and then send you to baptisms, not home, to baptisms, but I also want to deal then with this idea of God actually giving more than we can handle. Why does God actually even do that? So you could have got two sermons, you're going to get one, a little longer, but it's going to be okay, you'll live, uh, and then I want to bring it all back together, uh, give people more than they can handle is really something that God does to lead us to himself so if you have a Bible open to 2nd Corinthians chapter 1 that is on page 626 if you have an element Bible I think we understand the trials that God allows to come into our lives it can grow us as a people and changes when we understand it so when you hit 2nd Corinthians chapter 1 Paul is going to call God the father of mercies and all compassions And when we say, God won't give you more than you can handle, it makes it sound like God is the one who sits on his thrones and hands out the evil and the pain and the suffering. God hates evil pain and suffering. God's not sitting on his throne going, that person could really use an abusive father. I'll make this guy abusive, and so that way she has to deal with it or he has to deal with it. God doesn't do that. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 3 through 10. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer." Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you also share in our comfort. Now, Paul will then make this very personal. Verse 8, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. This is actually in the book of Acts. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. How overwhelming is that? Is that beyond more than what they can bear? Of course it is. Verse 9, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. So Paul describes God not as the author of evil and pain, but as the God of all comfort. And God will use the sufferings that we go through that when we're honest, looking at the context of what we talked about so far of the scriptures that we brought about into the world of ourselves, that God will bring comfort and healing and hope. John Ortberg wrote this he says the very scars and wounds we carry around that we most that we often most want to hide our addictions our losses our griefs and our failures those ironically and paradoxically in the gospel and in the power of the cross become the stories we tell and the bridges we build that enable us to be part of healing and hope and comfort in other people who suffer just like us all the things that we go through They build bridges of love and hope with one another. People who are willing to share their suffering together, experience a healing and a community that does not happen with those who only share their successes and triumphs. Not that you can't share your successes and triumphs. We want you to do that. That's a great thing, but if that's all that you share and you never talk about your struggles and the things you go through, you're not gonna have a deep, intimate community. Because when you talk about your struggles and the things that you go through, people who thought they were alone will find out I'm not actually alone in the midst of all this. Paul and those who traveled with him in Acts had been in circumstances that went beyond their ability to endure. Verse 8, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. How many of you have felt that way before? I can't go through this. I don't know what I'm supposed to do next. God, are you even there? Paul says, why did God allow this? That was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God. The reality is God allows these things so that His great power can be displayed in our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, just a couple chapters over, Paul says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. When Paul says that, he's not saying that affliction is light. What he's saying that in light of eternity and what God is going to do, that thing is not going to seem so long in light of eternity. One writer talking about this verse says it like this. Sometimes the most difficult thing to hold on to is an eternal vision. Paul isn't trying to minimize your affliction. He's trying to maximize your perspective. And what is the perspective? That suffering and death do not get the final word. That's what he's trying to say. Now, Mitch Chase writes this. There are at least two errors in the unbiblical notion of God will never give you more than you can handle. First, it plays on the cultural virtue of fairness. And second, it points the sufferer inward instead of Godward. And we always want to be pointed Godward and not inward. So let's talk about these two things. First off, fairness. Saying God will never give you more than you can handle. It sounds so nice to our culture today, right? Because we love the idea of fairness. We love that. It's the, the scales has been balanced god has looked at me assessed what i can handle and is only going to permit trials accordingly like if you have kids or know people with kids and they go to the grocery store and come home sometimes little kids are like i want to help carry that what do the parents have to do you got to look at the kid and say this is about what they can handle and you hand that to them so they can carry it in the house if you go to costco and get a 50 pound bag of sugar you don't give it to the five-year-old because they're going to drop it and if they do give it to them and they do drop it you can't get mad at them because that's your fault for giving them my friend John Warren, his son, Aaron, his, little Aaron, I'm big Aaron, he's, he's little Aaron. Little Aaron always wants to help. You're doing something, I want to carry it, I want to help. And, you, and you're like, you can't carry it, I can carry it. And you're all, boom, and he's all Deep. <laughs> I can't carry it. And you're like, I oh, know you can't carry it. That's why I said you can not carry it. But he's like, but he really does want to help. When we think fairness, we think it's like that. We think it's, oh, I've assessed what you can do, and this is what I'll give you. Now, here's the problem with fairness. Because it undergirds a whole modern experience, right? God has been unfair already. And people who don't believe in God are like, oh yeah, God's so unfair. No, I mean God has been unfair already because he hasn't dealt with us as our sins actually deserve. Because what happens if God would deal with us as our sins deserve? We sin, we rebel, boom, we're done. And what does God do? He offers us grace and mercy and kindness and abounding love. In Matthew 5.45, Jesus reminds us, "The the sun and the rain, I guess not if you're in California, but the sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous together. We call that common grace. God so transcends our categories of fair and unfair that we have no position to really evaluate His actions or weigh His will. We don't. In the nicest way possible, His ways aren't subject to our cultural standard of fairness. Now, the second thing is, God will never give you more than you can handle, is it points us inward. It tells us, I have the strength in myself to go through whatever is coming my way. The truth is, though, suffering never asks us if you're ready. Suffering doesn't like, hey, knock, 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 okay, I'm going to destroy your life now, is that okay? Suffering doesn't do that. It doesn't. The Bible never points us inward. It always points us to God himself, to the gospel, what God has done to save us. Psalm 46, verses 1 through 3 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Okay, great. Though the earth gives way. Well, okay. That's a lot. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, that's beyond us. Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. When our strength fails under crushing burdens, the answer is not in ourselves. The power comes from God, trusting Him and what He has done and the people He has placed around us to walk through these things together. And the reality is trials will come, but they don't come to show you how strong you are. Sometimes trials come to show us what we really Believe, but they're there to show us we don't have it all together because we live in a broken world. And again, that brokenness is something that we brought about. Too many people want to blame God for all the sins of people in the world. Oh, look what God did. No, look what we did. Look what we brought about. And because of what we brought about, suffering comes into our lives. And when it comes, we've got to be clear. We don't have what it takes in us, but God does. And God allows many times things in our lives we can't handle, but it's not more than he could handle. Last year, at the end of the year, we went through this thing called the Psalms or the Songs of Ascent. As people went to Jerusalem to worship God. Psalm 121, the writer asks this rhetorical question. He says, where does my help come from? And then he answers his own question. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. When trials come, we trust that God's help comes in the midst of those as well. One writer says it like this. It is imperative that we believe something true about God instead of something false about ourselves. Because the false about ourselves is, I got this, I can handle it. The true about God is, look, God knows we can't handle it, but He steps in to save us where we are. Now, I once heard a preacher do what I'm going to do with you right now. I thought it was awkward when I listened to the podcast, but I wrote it down at some point to actually do this with you because I thought it would be good. And that's this morning. You're welcome. I think it would be helpful. I'm going to give you some categories of human problems. And when I'm done, I'm going to ask you if any of those categories have ever been troubling to you in any way, if you felt any pain in any of those, I'm just going to ask you to stand up. Now, there, I think there are a lot of people who have been troubled in their lives and think they're all alone. And maybe today they could discover that, hey, I'm not actually alone. So we're going to do a community of fellowship in our sufferings. You're welcome. Okay, so if you have ever... Now, let me run through it, and then I'll ask you to stand at the end of it, okay? If you have ever suffered from deep grief or loss or loneliness, if you or someone you love has ever been troubled by an addiction... If you've ever been through the pain of betrayal, or divorce, or a broken family, or maybe you wanted a relationship and just can't find one, if you've experienced the death of a a spouse, a child, or a loved one, if you've ever had a miscarriage, or know the ache of wanting children but never being able to, if you've known the pain of failure, maybe you've been terminated, you you lose a job, or someone just runs you out of their life, if you've been through cancer, a heart problem, or other difficult health condition, I want you to stand. All right, if you're still sitting, if you ever felt like a failure as a parent, been the victim of emotional, physical, sexual abuse or assault, if you or somebody you love suffers from anxiety or depression or a mental health challenge, if you've ever experienced suffering in your life that you could not on your own take care of and you're still sitting because nobody is going to understand. Okay, all right, so this is great. Look around. You can do that. If you're on the live stream, just look at the room. You'll see people looking around. Now, everybody fights a battle that we think we and God know. Just us and God, and that's all. Nobody else. We think we're fighting it alone, but you're not alone. And so we walk through our life together, and God places us in community with one another. So what I want you to do is look to somebody who is next to you, maybe behind you, in a row in front of you, and just say this. Just say, the peace of Christ be with you. Turn around. Yeah. Even if you don't believe it, I want you to say, that is is an ancient blessing that the church used for centuries. Now have a seat. Have a seat. I swear to you, I am almost done. Okay? I'm almost done. When Paul was first called by Jesus, the first thing Jesus does is he goes to another follower in Acts 9, 16. And he tells his other follower, for I will show him, Paul, how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. He goes, why? Because I think God's like, Paul's going to need somebody. Paul's going to need somebody. In Hebrews 11, you see one person after another given more than they could actually handle. And that sad illusion in our day is, I'm the only one who struggles. I'm the only one who has gone through this. Hopefully, you've looked around and see that you are not the only one everybody does and if you're someone who hides yourself from all the things going on around you well maybe you can see I don't have to hide so much I think the problem today is that we think everybody else is doing great because we're on social media and we look at everybody's Instagram or Facebook or Snapchat, whatever they're on now. Everybody is putting up all these happy pictures. They, like they're the best spouse or the best parent that's ever lived. Someone said to me after my wife, my wife and our vacation a couple weeks ago, really short vacation. And um, this person came up and said, oh, you guys look like you're having so much fun. And I'm like, yeah, it's all right. And they're like, oh, but your pictures. And I'm like, I'm not going to post the picture of sitting in the hotel room going, I am bored out of my skull. Click. <laughs> Would you... <laughs> We, we don't do that. No one on social media posts a picture and says, here's the remnants of the last plate I threw at my husband. I only have one left. I'm thinking of throwing the next one too. No one posts pictures. No one posts pictures of security throwing them out of their workplace because they stole all the post-its. They, they might take a picture of, look how unfair my job is. They're throwing me out. But no one takes a picture and says, yep, click, I'm the post-it thief. They finally caught me. Nobody does that. Nobody does that because we want to hide ourselves. But let me tell you this. If you have ever suffered pain, you have a contribution to make to other people. Not from your strength, thinking you have it all together. You have a contribution to make from your scar, from your limp, from your wound, from your inadequacy. That is what we get to share. One commentator said of the verses in 2 Corinthians, For reasons I do not fully understand, shared pain creates a community that untroubled triumph does not. Now, not that it's not great to have untroubled triumph, but shared pain creates a community that untroubled triumph does not. I think that same thing goes for temptations in our lives. This doesn't mean our suffering is always manageable, but what it means is our suffering can always be meaningful in all the things that we go through. Paul says he doesn't want people to be ignorant of the pain that he himself endured because his troubles were beyond all that he could endure. So utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. And he speaks of God in this instance because it's not about what he can handle. It's about what God handles in and through him, through God's own strength. I read this quote. It was attributed to somebody else, to somebody else. I don't even know where it came from anymore, but this is what it says. It is not that God won't give you any more than you can handle, but that God will help you handle whatever you've been given in his strength. In his strength and not our own. So how do we move beyond our temptation? How do we move beyond you know, all of our pain? Well, it begins in an understanding of the gospel. It must start there. Because only in understanding the gospel will we understand where the strength comes from to walk through these things. How Jesus came and takes all the sin of the world upon himself. And you know what? No sin remains to be laid upon you. Because it was all laid upon him. And that should change our perspective of how God sees us and views us through who Christ is. And that should enable us to look beyond ourselves, stop hiding what's going on inside of us and maybe we can begin to say, God, who do you want me to be honest with this week? Who do you want me to help this week, maybe even today? And so what I really want you to do, since I had you stand and look around and see all this, I want you to look, be on the lookout for somebody this week who is hurting, beyond bearing, maybe in an area where you have hurt yourself, and you're like, I don't know what to do with my own pain. Well, I want you to look around past yourself to somebody else, and I want you to see somebody and write them a note or give them a call And be Jesus to them, because God gave Jesus for you. And as you do that, I think we can be the peace of Christ be with you. Why can we say this to one another? Because the peace of Christ was given to us. And we can now be a people who share that peace of Christ with others. And again, as I said, this always comes back to the gospel. Understand what Christ has done. Every week at Element, we bring you to the place of communion, because so often we forget So often we run in directions that take us from the place of remembering what Christ did to bring us back to himself. And so we come to this place of communion and we, hey, what are you doing, stealing my pen? Uh. We come to this place of communion because it is easy when things are overwhelming to get our eyes off of what Christ has done and what he continues to do in our lives. And so we come to this place each week as a remembrance. Where does our hope come from? It comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And not just that, he came and moved heaven and earth in order to die for our sins and rise from the grave to bring us back to himself. And so you break the cracker like Christ's body is broken for us. You dip it in the wine or the grape juice as a reminder of what Christ did to save us, giving his life, giving his blood, becoming the fulfillment of all of God's promises throughout the Old Testament and all of the promises that we now have for everything in our lives comes from what Christ did at the cross and his resurrection. And we can live in great hope that we don't have to run from our pain. We don't have to run from our temptations. Well, run from your temptation. We don't have to run from it in the in the way that you don't have to tell anybody else about it. Like, what is God doing now? <laughs> Turn off my microphone. You're done. <laughs> Guys, let's, let's be those. Let's be those in each other's lives. And if you need prayer, uh, talk to Sarah at the Welcome Center. She would love to connect you with one of us to pray with you because maybe you do feel like you can't get away from your temptations, that things are overwhelming, you don't know what to do. We would love to be able to talk and pray with you about those things. Don't feel like you have to hide what you're going through, the things that you're tempted with, or the places that that you think nobody else understands, because people do. We have all been through it, and through it all, God has been faithful. And so we also give you guys the opportunity to give every week, and this is why there's offering boxes around the room, and you can give online, because we give because God gives so much to us. We don't pass the plate. It's meant to be a response always to what God has done and what God is doing. And I encourage you to grab those sermon notes, maybe ask some friends or some family and some gospel, your gospel community what you know. things can reset you back to understanding the places where maybe you feel like you haven't been honest and you want to begin to be honest. And then kind of take that and then walk out into your life and be honest with those around you and share what you know. Look beyond yourself to share with the people around you the great grace that you've received because our God is good. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we ask that you would remind us, as you are so good to do, of what the gospel means. God, we thank you for a morning like this that we can come, and even in the midst of maybe some people having a lot of fears or a lot of temptations in their lives right now, or a lot of things that they feel like just being overwhelmed by suffering, that you still bring us back to yourself in hope. That no matter what we go through, it is not too much for you. It is almost always too much for us. But it is never too much for you. And so I ask that you would remind us to look to you, to trust what you have done, and then to step into the community that you have so graciously blessed us with. That we would begin to be honest with those around us of the places that we struggle. Are the places that we feel are overwhelming. And in that honesty, we could then maybe get our eyes off of ourselves and the thing we're going through and begin to look around us and begin to be that gospel-centered community to those around us as well. God, that we would do this all in a great love and reflection of what you have first done for us. That we don't, that we don't just do these things because we're supposed to do them. We do them. Because we understand that we have first been saved by you. So today, remind us of our great salvation. And then how we are meant to live that out in this world. As a great reflection of you and your grace. And we ask this in your son's good name. Amen. So I'm going to be really quick here. As Mark drops the curtains, before you take communion. I want you right now to ask God who in your life right now that you could reach out to. That maybe you could share some of the things that you are going through, but don't just make it all about you. Look for ways to say, hey, I understand this pain. I understand this temptation. I understand this overwhelming affliction in your life. I have been there, but let me encourage you. This is the gospel. This is what God has done to save us. I am willing to step into your life and walk with you through this. Who is God calling you to reach out to beyond yourself as you understand the great hope that you have received? Ask him to reveal that. And then come and take communion. Come and sing some songs with us. And step out into this world knowing that whatever you've gone through, you are not alone because number one, God has rescued and saved you. And secondly, God has placed you in a community of other believers to walk with you.